Good morning. Hi, Mark. Glad somebody's being polite to me this morning. <clears throat> Last night, I had the privilege of going down to the Episcopal Cathedral down by Hopkins, where uh, they have a grand Easter vigil service on uh, the Saturday night, the night before Easter. They have the choir, and they have the brass, and they have some dude with a flag on the end of a 20-foot pole that he waves around. Uh, but but it's the the service starts out of course in darkness. Everybody has their their little candles, and of course because these are Episcopalian, they have the the nicest candles and candle holders that are disposable that I've ever seen. Uh, but as the service goes on, there's a time where where the 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 the, the, the curtains that are draping the the altar are taken down, and the lights come on, and and uh, it is uh, it's quite a spectacle. And uh, as that is going on, as the as the the sanctuary is being transformed, as the kid with the flag on the pole is waving it around, everybody's singing this song with the refrain: "This is the feast of the victory of our God. This is the feast." of the victory of our God. And leading up to that place in the service, there is a reading of events from the history of God's redemptive work, one of which is in Exodus chapter 15, after God's people cross dry land and Pharaoh's armies are drowned. Moses and the Israelites sang this song to Yahweh. I will sing to Yahweh, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he is hurled into the sea. Yahweh is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. Yahweh is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Yahweh, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Yahweh, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I'll divide the spoils. I'll gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, O Yahweh? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched your right hand and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. 
Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be still as a stone until your people pass by, O Yahweh, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Yahweh, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Yahweh, that your hands established. Yahweh will reign forever and ever. Yahweh is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. And this is the feast of the victory of our God. Paul says in his letter to the Colossians that in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the flesh, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the feast of the victory of our God. Think for a moment about the picture on the cover of your bulletin, beyond the fact that the Easter bunny gets crushed by the stone, which I always like. Think what a humiliation that empty tomb was for the opponents of God. The Roman Empire was very good at killing people. If they tried to kill somebody, then he stayed dead. And the corrupt leaders of the Jewish people who conspired with them to put Jesus to death fully expected that the Romans would manage to do what they did so well that they would take a would-be Jewish revolutionary, make an example of him, and scare the living daylights out of the people, remind them that it's a bad idea to go up against Rome. And so when that tomb was empty, that looked very, very bad for the people who opposed Jesus. In fact, Matthew tells us in his gospel that the Jewish leaders paid money to the soldiers to cover it up, to make up a story about the disciples coming and taking his body away. Like anybody would believe that. Again, because Roman soldiers that have to guard a tomb, they're pretty good at doing that when they need to do that. No, Jesus' resurrection was a demonstration of the victory of our God 
the vindication in all he said about who he was and what he was here to do. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That cross that was designed to bring shame upon him was his means by which he brought shame upon them. This is the feast of the victory of our God. And this victory of our God and his resurrection from the dead is not only a victory over the corrupt rulers and authorities in the earthly realms, it's a victory over the prince of darkness himself who always stands opposed to God and his people. It's a victory over death itself, over all of the chaos that our sin has brought into the cosmos. And it is not only a sign of God's victory, but it is a foretaste of our participation in that victory ourselves. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. As he so often does when he talks and he says, you know, when, when you get down to brass tacks, the really important stuff, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached. Otherwise, all bets are off. You believed in vain. What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is what's really key, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. He appeared to a whole bunch of folks, most of whom are still around. You can ask them. And then last of all, he appeared to me. The fact is, I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I was late coming to the party, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace to me was not without effect. I worked harder than all of them, but it wasn't, wasn't I. It was the grace of God that was with me, whether it was I or they. This is what we preach. This is what we preach. This is what we preach. This is the feast of the victory of our God, and this is what his people preach on Easter. That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that there was no doubt that he was dead. And he was buried because that's what you do with a dead body. And then he came back. This is what we preach. This is what you believed. Paul knew, as we know today, that that's a little curious. After all, as we know, when you take a dead person and you bury them, they don't usually come back, do they? Right? We, we have evidence of this all around here. The ground is disturbed by nothing other than the gophers and the other woodland creatures that traverse these stones. And it was that way in Paul's day, too. People knew very well that when people died, they stayed dead. And as a result, there were some people who were saying, well, this must have just been a figure of speech. This just must have been metaphorical. 
But Paul says, look, if we're preaching that Christ has been raised from the dead, then how can some of you say that there's no such thing? I mean, look, if there's no resurrection, Paul says, then obviously Christ hasn't been raised, right? If if nobody can be resurrected, then Jesus couldn't have been resurrected. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. In fact, more than that, we're found to be liars about God because we've been testifying about God that he did raise Jesus from the dead. But he didn't raise him if, in fact, the dead can't be raised. The dead aren't raised, and Christ has not been raised either. Anybody having a hard time following Paul's argument here? If Christ hasn't been raised, then your faith is futile. You're still stuck in your sins. And also, those who have already fallen asleep in Christ, they're lost. I mean, if if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Each in its own turn, first Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, and then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. His gentle Jesus, meek and mild, with his bathrobe and his blue sash, has got his slippers resting on all of his enemies. Something doesn't fit about that picture, does it? No, God is a warrior. And he has put everything under his feet. And now when it says that everything's put under him, obviously this doesn't include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he's done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. But back to, back to the argument here, if there's no resurrection... Paul says, what what will those do who are baptized for the dead? I mean, if the dead aren't raised at all, why are people baptized for them? As for us, why why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I, I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? The dead aren't raised. Let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought, you foolish, stupid, rebellious people who are saying that there's no resurrection. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. And I say this to your shame. Now some jerk's going to say, well, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? What an idiot. What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you don't plant what will be. You plant a seed, a seed of wheat or whatever. But God gives it a body just as he's determined. Each kind of seed gets its own body. All uh, all flesh isn't the same, right? People have one kind of flesh, 
Animals have another delicious kind of flesh. Birds another, fish another, also tasty. Their heavenly bodies, their earthly bodies, the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another. Some stars are prettier than others, but look, it's the same deal with the resurrection from the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, but it's raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. What is more weak than a human corpse? But it's raised in power. It's sown a mortal body, but it is raised body in the spirit. See, if there is a mortal body, there's also a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual didn't come first, but the mortal after that came the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, but the second was from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. But as is the man from heaven. And who's that? Good. good. So also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, just as we are mortal like Adam, but so those of us in Christ shall bear the likeness of the one from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. The perishable doesn't inherit the imperishable. Now listen, I'm going to tell you a secret. We're not all going to sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. The perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, when the mortals clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is Torah. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the feast of the victory of our God. And so at the end of Romans 4, when Paul says that Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins. As we said Friday night, that is not the end of the story. He was delivered over to death for our sins, but he was raised to life for our justification. Another word you could use there, he was raised to life for our righteousness. Another word you could use, he was raised to life for our vindication. He was raised to life to put us in a position where nobody has any claim on us at all. In fact, the very next thing Paul says is, Therefore, since we have been justified, vindicated, made righteous, cleared of all charges, put in right standing with God through the faithfulness of Jesus, Therefore, we have peace with God.
through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's good news when you just think about it straight, but especially when you consider that God is a warrior, it's good to have peace with God, no? I mean, when God is in the business of bearing his arm and executing his fierce wrath upon his opponents, it's good to have peace with God, don't you think? I mean, if the day is going to come when God is finally going to deal with everything and everybody who comes against him, it's good to have peace with God now and then. This is the feast of the victory of our God, and because he is our God, because we have peace with him through our Lord Jesus Christ, we get to share in that victory. We have already allowed our mortal nature, our flesh, to be vanquished. We have already given that over to Him, those of us who are in Christ. So there's nothing left to defeat. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This being the feast of the victory of our God, we are going to celebrate His Supper. Will you join with me in the creed that God's faithful people through the ages have recited when they do this? After that, I invite you to come forward to take the elements These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Our communion table here at New Hope is open to all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We invite you to come and take the elements, bring them back to your seat, and we'll partake of them together. The red is wine, the white is grape juice, the bread is unleavened. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, He is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.